Hello, everyone. Watching and listening. Good morning from New Jersey this time. And welcome back to the Free Radical Podcast, episode number three. This is your host, Swami Padmanabh. And I'm here today at Nam Rasa's house here in New Jersey. Deeply honored to be in the company of one of the most uh, remarkable radical personalists I've had the privilege to meet till today, Devamado Prabhu. Devamado, thank you so much for joining. Krishna, Krishna, thank you for having me, Maharaj. Honored <laughs> to be here. So let me share a few words about Devamal Prabhu, a brief biography on him, and then we will start officially. <clears throat> so Devamadava Das met devotees in the summer of 2010 at Eastern Detroit and began a small center in Ann Arbor, Michigan in 2012. That effort grew into the community known as the Harmony Collective in nearby Ypsilanti, that includes a temple, farm, restaurant, and yoga studio. Deva remains the director of that community, while happily married to Brindavani Devidasi, unfantasizing about being a writer. Mm-hmm. Not only you are fantasizing about that, so hopefully that becomes actual reality very soon. So I'd like to share a few, one second the link of the Harmony Collective for those who would like to know more about Deva Madhav and, and, and the community, the Harmony Collective dot org <clears throat> so personally i've met Deva Prabhu. I, I, I think a few last year was last year two years ago or something like that personally first time first time was last summer yes Marge, last summer yeah yeah i mean i i personally have this weird dynamics that i've met most of and not only me myself i think that i meet people first time online we get to know each other for a few decades <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we meet personally after, after that time so I had a very, I was very honored to visit the, the Harmony Collective last year. Very beautiful uh, community, and, and and I really feel the Mal Prabhu to be one of those birds of the same feather that we flock together. So mm-hmm. I'm very honored to, to have him today here. Looking forward to having you back, Maraj. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we are going there very soon. So before starting officially with the topic, the Madhava, I would like to ask you a few words in regarding why. Why you consider important joining this conversation today, and and, and what in this in that connection, what radical personalism means to you? Uh, it's important for me to spend time with people that inspire me, so that's why I was looking forward to being here, Maraj. I always enjoy your association, and uh, particularly, I'll I'll say that it's so refreshing to see a, a sannyasi, somebody who's settled into his sannyas ashram being so adamant about the value of integrating our humanity in our Krishna consciousness. And I, I recognize that others are recognizing your, um, your presentation of that, the need for it, and the poignancy that, that you're in the particular ashram you're in and uh, even have the kind of devotional background you have, uh, the ups and downs and et cetera. So, for all that, I, I'm very happy to uh, lend whatever weight I might have to supporting the the growing of this conversation across um, the devotional community. And it's it's a conversation I felt I've, in my own way, tried to churn. And I see you've just leveled up the, the whole dynamic, especially giving language, like the idea of radical personalism, giving language to ideas that have, for many people, only been felt so far, kind of intuited or experience, but not verbalized, and therefore can't be shared as forcefully. And so I'm happy to lend my part as you've invited me to do. Mm. Thank you. Thanks so much for your 
authenticity, basically. <clears throat> so today with, we'll be talking with Dev Mahaprabhu. The title of today's episode is The Individual <coughs> as the Heart of the Institution. Uh, and personally, I, I chose this topic and I chose Deva Madhava. I've thought about Deva Madhava for this topic since for me, that's one of his specialties. I've heard him talking with him, I think many, maybe, maybe the first time in, in Amrasa's podcast and talking a little bit about some of these topics as well. Uh, he recently gave a very interesting lecture on Eastern University as well. Many of you may have seen it, if not recommended. Uh, also, he made this interesting lecture yesterday in the Progressive Vaishnavism Conference, and he will be touching up on related topics, I think, <clears throat> on the retreat we will be having with him and Jai Jagannath Prabhu uh, this coming next weekend, no? next weekend from July 28th to 30th, in case you may like to join. Here's the link as well. It's not such an easy one. TicketTaylor.com slash events slash the Harmony Harmony Collective slash 939416 for those who are uh, only listening. <clears throat> so that's today's topic, basically. The individual as the heart of the institution, as usually. Uh, I, I try to relate that with some section of, of the book, Radical Personalism, which is here. And I will, I will read that section now, which is one of the different radicals, so to say, in the manifesto chapter. In this case, the, 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 radic the corresponding radical is called radical organization, which is in page 71. So I'll read this brief point and then we'll start our unfolding officially. So it says like this. <clears throat> Whatever difficulties we may be experiencing as a community are not necessarily related to our institutions per se, but in most cases to the fallacy of institution institutionalism. Gaudiya Vaishnavism is to be first and foremost concerned with real people, not with projects. When each individual heart is properly honored and cared for, projects and institutions will then naturally fall into their proper roles and functions. We call this radical organization. <clears throat> So basically, the above section inspired the title for today's episode, The Individual as the Heart of the Institution. So any thoughts to, to do the kickstart, Deva Madhava, in this connection you would like to share? Again, Maraj, I feel like you're giving language to kind of intuition and uh, the need of the hour that a lot of devotees have felt or at least um, perceive the need of. And I'm reminded as you read that section from a devotee who inspired me to to really uh, focus on this track of taking care of people and the value of the institution really just being a measure of how well it's supporting individuals. Um, there's a devotee, His Grace Kalakanta Prabhu, who's famous for uh, engineering the Krishna House project in Gainesville to its present place of prominence and, and effectiveness. And I heard him give a seminar some years ago and he talked about when he took over the project and it was a skeleton crew barely running on this uh, Mahavakya from Prabhupada that Prashadam should be distributed in Gainesville. Mm. So something had been maintained there around this instruction for that period of time. But it, it was uh, quite <clears throat> it was a trickle of what you would expect it to be and compared to what it is today. And Kalakanta Prabhu talks about a, a moment where he decided to start praying to their Gornitai deities instead of please send me people 
and money so that we can execute these projects, he started praying, please send us people so we can take care of them. Hmm. Hmm. Please send us people so we can take care of them. That hmm. was his sense of purpose now at Krishna House Gainesville. And they, they, had, they didn't call it that at the time, I don't think. I think they changed the name around that time. Hmm. Um, and when that shift in focus came, that let us just be able to support whomever, however they need to be supported. Not that we have an a priori idea. Hmm. Of supporting you means getting you to wash the pots because that's the support we need. <laughs> getting you to you know cook sabji for a thousand people because that's what we do here. Rather, what do you need and how are we able to provide it for you? Uh, hmm. And today his project stands as what it is and the example that many people see it as for that reason. So it was, it was a real pivotal moment in my own understanding, which was budding around the naive kind of misconception of what it means to have a community in a project and the reality of what an actual Krishna conscious experience uh, would be for people. Hmm. Thanks for that kickstart. I really appreciate the point you made on, on Kalakanta Prabhu. Because, yes, yeah, sometimes this idea of <clears throat> taking care of people is seen just like like a means and not so much like the goal, so to say, of, of the institution, no? Like, like yeah. okay, we take care of them because we it, it's something we have to do in order for something else to happen, so to say. <laughs> so it's more in, it's seen in, as in utilitarian terms, so to say, no? Like you are useful for us. Taking care of you is useful for us, so that brings forth that particular result. But actually the, the ultimate result is taking care of people to the point of, that they become pure devotees, basically. Ultimately, that's the, the goal of each, each one of us. So, But for that to happen, yeah, we need to be taken care of. So that's a... Yeah, it's, it's a simple... <clears throat> between the difference between means and goal, again, I really appreciate the point of taking care of people as a, as a goal of our service, so to say. Because on a daily basis, I like to say sometimes it may sound a little extreme, but in, in the ultimate goal of Gaudiya Vaishnavism... Uh, Radha and Krishna will be on a daily basis about to die in separation of, of each other. So our service will be to take care of them so they don't die in separation. <laughs> mm. So if you want to take care of the divine couple eternally, I mean, you have to begin somewhere and that may be taking care of other people. <laughs> yeah. no, so, so, uh, but again, taking care of others will be the goal of life, you'll an eternity will be you doing that forever. It's not just okay, I'll take care of you. So that gives a particular result, which is in the form of whatever a bigger structure, more, more, more potential in, mm. in, 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 in outreach or whatever. Which again, we are not against that, but that's has something that has to happen in a very, very natural way. Yes, yeah, a byproduct of taking care of people. So I, I remember you mentioned that once, I think it was in a your podcast with Nam Rasa that I saw a few years ago, and you mentioned this simple point, which, but, but basically it's like, yeah, we are not to take care of the institution. We are to take care of people similar in those lines. Like, like, like people will be, I, I think in my book, I mentioned something to that effect, like institutions are not mere, mere buildings or papers or bank accounts or hierarchy systems, but institutions are its members basically. No, like, like, and therefore, institution cannot be better than their own members because institutions are their members, mm. <laughs> and yeah. without real people, there is no actual project. Basically, no? if you take the real people out, which project remains? No? 
I, I had this very um, pointed experience in uh, New York once. I was going <clears throat> to New York City to serve the Harinam Ashram there. Mm. We would go once a week, or I'm sorry, once a month for about a week. And we did that for four years or so. So we helped the, the ashram kind of get established there. And we were waiting on the train platform in the subway to go to the Harinam spot. And you know, mm. five or six brahmacharis all wearing saffron and shaved up. And I was there also in my Hare Krishna traditional attire. And we're all goofing around on the plane trap for, platform, enjoying uh, our position as the, the highest people doing the highest thing <laughs> uh, on our way to prove to everybody how good and religious we are. And <clears throat> this, we were right by the steps coming down to the platform. And I noticed out of the corner of my eye that there was this old woman trying to make it down the steps with like two bags and a cart. And, you know, just like an old fragile woman carrying way too much stuff down these dangerous steps. And if I'd had like another three or four seconds to like create that shakshitva, you know, that distance from goofing around with the bhaktas to like, oh yeah, help the old lady. I would have been able to bring myself around to it. But by Krishna's grace, some other gentleman standing and watching acted much quicker than I did, went up the steps, took the old lady's stuff, brought it back down. And then he turned and looked right at me and he said, it's a shame, all these religious people standing around mm. and they can't even help an old lady out. Mm. Hmm. And he didn't know we were Hari. He didn't say all these Hari Krishnas. It's just like he could tell we're dedicated to some kind of religious path. We're so-called spiritual. Hmm. But then in the most obvious sense, we, we can't help people. So what help are we really offering in the existential sense? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. In the name of dedication, we are neglecting individuals, basically. So... I know it may sound heavy for some, but for me, that's a form of impersonalism. Again, going back to the topic of radical personalism, the topics we are, all these different radicals we are sharing in these meetings are facets of this same principle of remaining a person and remaining personal to others. So again, not taking care of others is a form of not acknowledging their existence, basically, as you mentioned, of is subtly saying to others, you are not a person, <laughs> you do not exist. Exactly. And, and somehow sabotaging your own project because if you do not do not take care of others, how you will again pray for mercy and pray Krishna, Guru, Vaishnavs, please take care of me. If we are not extending that same gift to others, so so that recalls me once I think Prabhupada was on the rooftop with some devotees in India. There was some beggar walking, and and, and one of the devotees was in a similar situation to Devamado, and he has somehow. And he told Prabhupada, Prabhupada, when I see these people, sometimes I feel sorry. No, like, like the implication was like, I know I shouldn't feel sorry because that's my and I should be transcendental and that's your karma. <laughs> and he said, I sometimes feel sorry. And Prabhupada looked at him and said, why only sometimes? Mm -hmm. mm. <laughs> the main quality of a devotee is Kripalu. Generally, in the list of qualities of a devotee begins with the devotee is merciful. So, yeah. so I, I will. I, I I love to connect this idea of taking care of other people in connection to the quality of of compassion and of mercy. Again, we say one of the four regulative principles is don't eat meat, but actually the the actual principle is 
be merciful, be compassionate. So I will say, if you don't take care of others, you are breaking that regulative principle, basically. Or in this case, today's topic, if you put the interest of the institution, so to say, as, or, or if you conceive institution as separate of, for, of its members, and in the name of institution, you neglect individual beings, that's breaking the regulative principle of compassion by extension. Mm. Hmm. Excellent point. And then, yeah, the deification of the institution is so easy mm. <clears throat> because it's it's so felt. It's so easy to watch the institution grow and to, by metrics of, a, of a, an institution, to be able to feel successful and accomplished. It's much more difficult to feel successful and accomplished in the context of relationships. Mm -hmm. <laughs> how many points, how, how much money, how much square footage have I gained in a relationship today it, it's hard to measure that it's not very tangible mm -hmm. for so-called emotionally sensitive people mm -hmm. but the the institution provides this easy win of sorts to to anchor and hang my hat on and it it creates this temptation to your point of just basically neglecting the well-being of individuals in the name of uh, all these much more measurable metrics yeah Totally agree. I, I remember once this idea came, uh, you mentioned the point of relationships and, and, and the importance of growing in them. And the idea came, yeah, one of the main services we, we, we have to perform to our guru, to Sri Krishna, to the Vaishnavas, having good relationships. We generally do not see that as seva. Seva, many times we see it like doing stuff, no, like doing things or constructing something, donating. But what about developing our relationship that's a, an offering unto itself that's one mm -hmm. of the main offerings so but generally we don't we do not conceive of relationships as as a service opportunity of course it's much more as you mentioned much more complicated much more elusive i mean probably you won't receive a, a yearly price for developing your relationship that should be there but <laughs> many times the, the, the acknowledgement is more for, okay, he gave this donation, he did that in numbers. As you mentioned, the metric is different. And, and I think it's very necessary to, to develop a more subtle way of measuring, so to say, things like in, in another direction. The other day we were talking that sometimes the devotees may measure falling down, going in another direction, like, okay, he broke one of the four wrecks or something. But sometimes if you are indulging in dual uh, in dualism, dualistic thinking, hypocrisy, uh, envy, or more subtle things, those are not considered like such a scandal, so to say. Although they may be even more delicate, but they are more subtle and invisible. And generally, we don't think in those terms. We measure only for the externals in one sense. So, so yeah, I, I think it's in one way or another, it's an invitation for for grasping things in a more entering more into an invisible space where, where things are more and more refined and, and need to be considered from that perspective. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder, Maharaj, what, because I feel like a lot of the, the ills mm. uh, of bad institutions <laughs> are felt and understood by people these days. Uh, there's less clarity on what could be improved or what would the alternative um, look like structurally? Because I think that that piece is important. Um, people know what they want to have, but they don't know how to get it necessarily. So maybe we could 
orient the conversation some in that direction about some of the the actual adjustments to make within an institution uh, mm. to create the experience of connection and upliftment and support that everybody kind of intuitively understands is actually supposed to be going on. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Well, I will, in that connection, thanks for the invitation. Um, and Russ is mentioning that I'm sure that I connected to the correct Wi-Fi. My correct connection is not so good, but yeah, and I'm Russ, I'm connected to the correct Wi-Fi here. <laughs> Goranga 5G. So I think if Mahaprabhu is present there, he's he's sharing the 5G. Maybe that's a panchatato, the 5G. <laughs> he says, please leave and rejoin. And that may be too much. Uh, it's so bad. That's such a bad connection we have now. Can, can you see me and hear me properly? You, you are blurry, Marash. I, I think the audio is on time, but the, the image is a little slow and you're a little blurry. Hmm. Mm. Let's try for a few minutes more and let's see if, if it continues working. So I will start the, the invitation you made by clarifying a little bit what's the role of institutions because mm. many times we 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 tend to com confuse many things or without bad intention. Of course, like yesterday, I saw that someone asked you in your conference and a question and in that connection, he was mentioning, like speaking about institutions are, 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 and sadhu sangha as, as synonymous almost. And, and you made that point, like that that's not necessarily the same. Mm. I mean, and, and sometimes we kind of do this type of sayuja, this merging, <laughs> <laughs> this conceptual merging. And we use words, again, we may say they are just words, but they are not just words necessarily. Sometimes we use words and, and they create an idea in us and that idea creates our whole orientation and conception to what is what. So if we can merge like, you know, institution with Sadhu Sangha, then the, the message is without an institution, you cannot have Sadhu Sangha. You know? and, 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 and maybe for you, institution maybe for that person, big building, big structure. Well, interestingly, if you pay attention the institutional framework of Gaudiya Vaishnavism basically began with, with Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur in one sense. Now, before that, if you asked Bhaktisiddhanta Thakur, which mission do you belong to? He wouldn't have an answer to say <laughs> because there were no institutions. He may reply in terms of Parivar or Gaudiya Sampradaya, but not institution per se. And of course, I'm not saying it's time to burn out all the churches and the only church that enlightens is the one who is burning on flames, like some people say. I'm not like anti-institution, but it's important to to delineate the the reach uh, and the ups and downs of institutions. So, institution basically, I'll, I'll com I compare them in my book with cups, no, like cups. So, so the point is, you can drink milk directly from a cow. Now, it's possible. <laughs> But generally, a, a cup will facilitate the, the delivery, so to say. A, a cup will, will allow you to drink it more specifically. So the idea is the transcendental substance that not, does not depend on, on an institution for its transmission, but institutions can help, can often assist that delivery. But at the same time, we have to understand the transcendental substance is so vast, so unlimited, that no institution can fully encompass and contain and deliver the totality of it. So also we should be careful not to over-absolutize the institution to the point of thinking, I don't know, that it has become more than what it is. No? So some just initial point to, to share, but you please continue. That's so, 
it's so important how you frame that what to understand what is the value or purpose of the institution that contextualizes it because it implies there's also things that the institution can't or shouldn't do uh-huh. <laughs> so there are things it should do there's also things it shouldn't do and i'm reminded of this verse which is often misapplied at least from the sentimental side um, from the bhagavatam that one should not become a parent <laughs> a, a teacher unless they can deliver their dependence. You shouldn't be a guru, a teacher, or a parent unless you're a pure devotee. That's how it's taken in our society. I shouldn't have children unless I'm already a pure devotee, which doesn't do well for uh, sociology nor spirituality. (laughs) To have that misunderstanding, but that's how it's received, is that I have to be the one to deliver my child. But the, the real implication is that you just have to be a good parent. Uh-huh. You have to play your part within the equation of that child's life. And then when they meet the spiritual master, when they meet the sadhu, they'll have already had the the foundational experience of a good parent, and they will be able to then take that step forward into healthy sadhu sangha. But if you try to be a sadhu for your child and uh-huh. and then ignore your duties as a parent, then when the child meets the sadhu, they're not able to relate to them in the healthy way and receive what can be received there. So to understand what the institution is for implies also what it is for not and mm. allows devotees to start looking in in other places to, or in other ways, we could say, to find those things that they will not get from an institution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. So yeah, I agree. And I, and I think it's important to be sobered about the ups and the downs. Sometimes we, which is, as I mentioned also in my book, sometimes we concentrate on our own tradition and maybe we focus on the on the glories of it, which is beautiful, but only the glories and never analyzing any of the downsides is a little part. And we go to downsides of other traditions, of course, <laughs> <laughs> and the Happily. glories of ours. <laughs> Sorry, one. <laughs> Happily. <laughs> yeah, of course, celebrating that that comparison, so to say. And we get a totally distorted picture. And in that context, sometimes we end up, again, over-absolutizing the, 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 the function and the reach of the institution. And, and, and we like over develop over-expectations about our own membership or the membership of other peoples in the institution itself because mm-hmm. we already like over-expanded our own sense of what the institution means. So on that over-expanded sense of what the institution actually is, you you further project over expectations of those who join that over expected institution. So as you mentioned, someone joins the institution and you already have in your mind an over extended sense sense of what that person should be doing, how they must should surrender, because the institution is such a thing, which actually is not that. <laughs> and we are kind of again doing another type of uh illegal sayuja, illegal merging between, again, the essence that the institution is expected to to facilitate and extend, and we consider the cup to be the milk, so to say. The institution have merged and became the essence, and there's no difference between the two. Well, actually, there is. There is. Srila Prabhupada himself, that I recall when he... I mean, I know that some devotees will try, will compare Iskand Prabhupada's institution, so to say, to to something non-different from him and a spiritual and transcendental. And, and there is a way I, to talk about that, but also there is a way to talk about ISKCON in institutional terms and, 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 and a structure or ISKCON as a state of consciousness and inner mode. So again, we need to separate these two. 
and I recall when Srila Prabhupada was uh, found in ISKCON and writing all these legal papers, this was shared by Achyutananda Swami at that time, Achyutananda Das. Yeah. Uh, and he said that Prabhupada, in, in the midst of writing all these laws and papers and rules, he said that actually at the end of the day, it all boils down that the rules for ISKCON are that the society should be ruled by love and trust. And, and if at some point this main rule is not followed, all the effort that we made to create this institution, we have to make that same effort to dismantle that institution because it no longer serves that purpose. <laughs> so Prabhupada himself expressed that, like considering there is place for creating and dismantling an institution, while, but the essence of that, the essence of ISKCON, so to say, is this love and trust, whether it's called ISKCON takes one form, takes another. So the point is we should be clear about discerning about the difference between, again, form and essence, principle and details, and so on. <clears throat> we have a few comments here. Devotees are asking, what is care? Um, oh, let me share one of them. Let, let's see. What is the structure there? And uh, Let's see. Um, oh, here's one from Linda Sundar in that connection. Yeah, it seems important to clarify what exactly it means to care for someone. So what does it mean, Dev Madhavan? Let me know your version of it. Well, I'd, I'd like to speak to the institution's role of that since we're, that's kind of uh -huh. where my mind went since that's where our conversation is. Um, I'm reminded, there's a political philosopher um, named John Locke. Uh, uh -huh. He's, in America, we have the founding fathers who are like the politicians that set the country up. Uh -huh. but they were all influenced by Brahmanas. They're kind of the Kshatriya class, more or less. Uh, they were influenced by philosophers the founding philosophers. Mm -hmm. and one of them is John Locke. And John Locke writes about natural law and natural rights. Mm -hmm. And natural law, we can equate to Dharma, mm -hmm. that every individual in the society has some responsibility to contribute to it. And then natural rights are those things which are natural for one to receive from the society. Mm -hmm. And John Locke writes, I'm obviously making things very brief in a summary he writes that essentially those societies which are able to uh, productively emphasize natural law basically those societies which the preponderance of influence is towards your responsibility mm. those are the healthier societies mm. and your natural rights will then naturally be provided because everybody's looking to provide something <laughs> So when everyone's looking to provide something, then everyone is provided for in a, a kind of natural way. Whereas when things become too concerned with what I can get, my, mm. my natural rights and my natural dharma or law becomes neglected, that's when things become uh, depressed and anxious. So despite the devotional community's <clears throat> um, irresponsible neglect of people's needs over the last 40 years or so it's still i i feel and we've been able to do this on some level at the harmony collective it's still important to maintain that momentum towards personal responsibility within the society and that is what i understand to be real care is to help someone enter into a position of responsibility where they can feel the the value of their own existence in contributing to the existence of others Ultimately, the supreme other, as you began beautifully pointing out, Maharaj, Radha Krishna, 
they mm. will need us forever. <laughs> and so to need to feel needed and to know how I can contribute in the immediate mm. someone else, that's really what a community helps me to get to. And yes, of course, some people in the beginning are so deficient and, and kind of harassed that they may need a, a kind of intensive care period where a lot is being given to them without much coming back. Mm. But the, the eventual goal uh, is that. Hmm. Thank you for sharing. I, I totally appreciate your emphasis on on, on care as, respon as responsibility and not only I'm taking responsibility for you, so I'm taking care of you, but I'm taking responsibility for you implies I'm inviting you to take responsibility for you. Yes. <laughs> no, because sometimes in the name of taking care, we may be also promoting a notion of just like flattery or like hijai or like codependency, codependency but not healthy responsibility as I like to divide the word response ability mm -hmm. <laughs> not to, to, to teach people to develop the ability to respond to, to life basically to life to bhakti to Krishna's will and that takes time because sometimes in the name of take care I'm not I'm not being taken care of you should take care sometimes also that can be a form of exploitation you not know, the care I'm I'm requesting may not be care at all. I don't want to be taught responsibility. I don't want to be taught to take uh, responsibility for myself and to change what I need to change in order to be more responsible. I just need, I just want to be taken care of. And who knows what do you understand in that case for being taken care of, just being provided, as you mentioned. And, and, and as you mentioned, there is a place for that in certain stages, maybe baby stages, like a baby is just provided, provided, provided. But the parent has the hope of, hey, at, at one point he will, he will not become a monster and will keep the requesting and demanding more and more and more, but will be able to reciprocate accordingly. So, yeah, you will go. Yeah, please. I, I'm just thinking back to my first marriage and I had this mm. ill-conceived notion uh, that from day one, it should just be a, a total giving to the movement, a total giving to others. Mm. And there was a lack of investment internally. There was a lack of care. And that caused the thing to break up very quickly. And I, I, in retrospect and looking back and figuring out how to do things better, if there would be a second time around, which now there is. And so what, what to do better and differently. I recognize that there's this odd paradigm in our movement of trying, you, you get a new couple and you pump them up with an idea that they're kind of, a, you know, like a God-destined service engine of force and purity and they're going to save the lives of so many and mm. then you you squeeze out from them for two or three years all they can give but then they fizzle and die mm. you got two or three years out of them but it's two or three very immature awkward years anyway they didn't really have much to give they weren't mature yet they weren't mm. offering sweet fruit mm. and and now they're the tree's dead but Conversely, like in Jewish society, in traditional, the, the honeymoon period is actually, it's a, a year. There's a, a period where it's considered one of a friend, Lokaram Prabhu, was sharing this with me because he, he married, his wife is kind of not exactly Orthodox Jew, but um, tr more traditional. And it's a year where the community basically doesn't ask anything of those young people and okay. instead just encourages them to spend time with each other. And they're provided for, and the young man doesn't have to work as much. And mm. 
it's understood that when so much is given in the beginning, then later on, they will be able to give to the next young couple because they'll be mature, they'll be healthy, they'll be settled in each other, and there'll be prosperity and, and wealth from a material, subtle, social, emotional level that comes from that. Something like a baby who gets breastfed versus mm -hmm. one who's on the bottle from the beginning. Many studies have shown now that later on in life, no matter whether the person is, is in a relatively comfortable situation or not, the one who was breastfed is healthier by disposition. Mm -hmm. And the one who is fed from the bottle is generally, whether things are nice or not, uh, has a harder time maintaining their health. So there's, for many people, when they first come in, in their enthusiasm, we yoke them up to the movement and extract a couple years of book distribution or pot washing or whatever out of them. They're their least productive years. That's all we get. And then they go away and they're, they're disillusioned. And if they maintain their Krishna consciousness at all, they're not so interested in maintaining any proximity to the actual movement mm -hmm. because of that um, difficult experience, that lack of care in the beginning. Whereas ironically, if just a two or three year period of care had been given, then they'd give two, three, four decades happily after mm. that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, yeah, that, let's not like... Exploit, exploit the Utsahamayi, so to say. No, you are in the honeymoon period, super inspired, and give, 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 give. And the, mo the moment you start, and I've seen that, and I've heard many devotees throughout the years, <clears throat> like feeling sometimes disappointed, disillusioned by feeling, okay, I've, I've given so much the first years, and eventually, for whatever reason, I don't know. Also, I, I was willing to give more, but eventually, I don't know. I, I got married, I have another responsibilities. Uh, and the focus shifted from from to those who are in in their own yutsahamai in their own initial enthusiasm and provide provide provide. So I was made felt like I was just temporary tool for fulfilling some purpose. But at the at the moment I'm not being able to to provide as I would like. I feel like put away. You no, know, or some devotees telling me that day I was talking with some like. Yeah, here in the community, the main emphasis in, in those who give the donations and who provide, no matter what's their behavior. So that's that's the thing. No, if you have good behavior but do not provide, you are not that important. But if you provide in terms of monetary contribution, we don't care for what you are doing outside of the donation itself. So that that will be the main thing. And mm. and I will think I, I mentioned that the thing in my book, the importance of trying to care about individuals and especially those who won't benefit us in any immediate form. No, that's a real exhibition of care. I mean, I'm, I'm serving you. I'm taking care of you. And as you mentioned, I'm not receiving anything from you in the immediate, in the in immediacy, <clears throat> instead of serving quote unquote serving those who no matter how they behave are, are the ones who are contributing to our, own separate costs, actually, not the actual cost. Mm. One comment here from Michelle that I like to share. She says, mm, okay, but that idea of people taking responsibility often gets translated into using devotees to serve the institution. Yeah, that's why I mentioned in the beginning. We need to reframe, not only find new words, but go to the glossary and give the proper meaning to each word because the same word gets translated into so many ways. So 
and may continue to be so, unfortunately, but we need to be clear about what does it mean? What does it, which are the implications of the terms? Then she said, there is pressure on devotees to show they are responsible by doing seva for the temple. Once busy doing service, my experience has been that becomes the marker of spiritual progress. Any thoughts, Devamad, on that one? Yeah, it's it's been a very awkward experience for me to recognize that dynamic as a, a ultimately an institutional manager of a temple. That expectation that I have that now that I've given so much to a person, there ought to be something coming back for the organization in a kind of formal, straightforward sense. Hmm. And I've had to you know, in some ways personally, and in some ways it's been shown to me that that expectation gets in the way of the real experience that the person may be able to have that for some people, the best place is more or less disconnected from the institutional operation. And there's nothing wrong with that, that that doesn't, it's not a mark on their Krishna consciousness, it's natural for them to just uh, be and serve and develop and grow in a different sphere, away from formal things it's a pandora's box and when i'm when i get too tempted to look at other um operations other yatras and criticize them for not creating more of this atmosphere that we're discussing hmm. i understand why they don't want to open that pandora's box also because as soon as you start providing what people need you come to see how deficient they are hmm. as soon as you take away those kind of pre pretenses that people are operating on that I, I show up at the right time on the right day, wearing the right clothes, saying the right words. And if you say that's what it means to be a good devotee, then I'll agree and we'll all be okay. We'll just keep the peace. Mm. As, as soon as you remove those pretenses, behind that is a, a whole blockage of toxicity and putrefaction that has to come out. And then behind that <laughs> is all the work that they had to do anyway. <laughs> Before Devamada knows what he's talking about. He speaks, he's walking the talk, so pay attention to him, guys. Before you before you even the, the stuff that anyway was you know problematic and, and going to be difficult to work through. First, you have to work through all the stuff that built up because of your poor schematics. Hmm. Then you have to work through the stuff that anyway the conditioned soul is going to have to deal with. And everyone's looking to to you or or you know the few of you who are kind of leading the effort. To create that for them they don't have parents they don't have mentors and guides and, and healthy relationships in their life because they're kali yuga creatures and it's it's an overwhelming experience for anybody that takes it on with any you know responsibility what i have like you know 30 40 50 people in my community i look at the people who have 400 persons connected to a temple and I understand why individually they may deal in, a, in one way and collectively they deal another because the overwhelming scenario that they face is, is just that. It's like oppressive and nobody else is doing it. So why, why should I have to get into that mess mm. with people? Of course, when you do, there's so much reciprocation. You realize this is what it's about. This mm. is what we have to do one day or another. So why not start? But starting that that entry price is very high. Mm. I totally agree. I, I appreciate your realism and bringing down to earth because, again, it's easy to talk about the things and to demand or to say, I don't know, 
they are failing this should be done like this like that but really you have to enter into the arena and taste the blood sweat and tears that <laughs> are going on in terms of what what it takes to to, to, to create community, to sustain community, to actually relate to one another. I mean, it's easier said than done. I mean, I've been temple president for probably 15 years in a row, and <laughs> that's that's beautiful, but that's completely demanding and challenging and complex. One, one idea that comes to mind, going back to your invitation to talk about the, the role of institutions and so on, in connection to what you mentioned, the idea came recently, like institutions ideally... The purpose of the institution in connection to what you just mentioned, at least one of the purposes, I'm not boiling down to one, but one of them will be like to create a safe container uh, for the individuals to express their vulnerability, so to say, mm -hmm. you know, to create safe space you know, for, for the members of the community. I like to speak more in terms of community than in institution. The institutional side may be there, but we are mostly concerned about being community, being family. Sometimes it's as easy as it sounds, we forget that we are family, basically, and we may get like, I don't know, we may be construct an institution with ideas, but ideas uh, without the heart sometimes. No? So, so it's important to keep this idea, we are family. And this idea came once like, okay, the role, actual purpose of institution is create sacred space or, or safe container. So each of its members feel the invited and safe to express their vulnerability what, what mm. do you think in that in that connection i think it's a wonderful point and it, it speaks it's a, i think a nice answer to this observation that yogamaya is making in the chat she's saying we can't even care for our older generation what to speak of the younger ones these devotees have given their whole lives as so though we in any direction you look you you see people deficient in, in what they're being provided no no one's been provided for yet so then where does the the growth begin where where do we address things first it first just begins by admitting that by coming together and and being vulnerable and admitting this very high ideal of Gaudiya Vaishnavism is not being met by this very wonderful yet uh deficient effort that's been made so far uh, there's a, the, the word devotee care has become uh, a very popular mantra in ISKCON. And I wrote an essay some time ago that the very need to put devotee care as a kind of separate department within a temple's effort mm -hmm. is a sign that the temple's effort, the community's effort, is itself misguided. Mm -hmm. Krishna consciousness and devotee care are synonyms. Right? Mm -hmm. Jiva doya, Krishna nam, Vaishnav seva. Mm -hmm. uh, or, or wait, what is it? Jivadoya. Jivadoya Krishnanam Sarva Dharma Sar. Oh, no, uh, Jivadoya. Uh, Nam Ruchi Vaishnav Seva. Mm. Okay. These things are synonymous. Mm -hmm. Serving the Vaishnavs, being kind to those who don't have that momentum in their life yet, and Nam Ruchi all go together. They're not separate departments, separate mm -hmm. experiences. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of caring for devotees as being some effort outside of my Krishna consciousness is itself a misconception. Mm -hmm. And to just admit that we've all allowed ourselves to be duped on some level. Mm. We've mm. all contributed from my own salvationist hopes mm. that mm. just by being a member of this institution, I don't have to do anything. I can just say my pledge of allegiance mm. and I'll get all of the opportunity of Goloka Vrindavan without having to do any of the effort. 
all the way to the folks at the top who inculcate that mentality in the followers because then they don't have to do much effort except stay stay in and do what I say. Mm-hmm. And then your your certificate will be signed at the end. From top to bottom, there's been this temptation into our lower nature. And to be vulnerable enough to admit that to each other is the beginning of then seeing in a practical way, what can we start doing and who can start doing it mm-hmm. to be able to create in in generations from now mm-hmm. the ideal that we understand because mm-hmm. that's also the other app like what is possible in the next decade mm-hmm. four decades mm-hmm. versus what what might my grandchildren's grandchildren be doing if i do my part now mm. yeah totally resonate and that reminds me so much many things that i've written in, in radical personalism in terms that Many parts of the book are hopefully a healthy crit- criticism to the current stage of our community and, and trying to speak about, okay, anticipatory Gaudiya Vaishnavism, proactive devotion, but not in terms of let's change everything in this present generation. Like you mentioned, it's not possible. And probably the Dharma, so to say, or, or, or our Dharma, our duty in this particular generation or chapter is to be vulnerable enough, as you mentioned, to to get humiliated, so to say, <laughs> and realize the things that we are failing at. And, and that's enough dose for that particular generation, perhaps. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, because we, we, we want to go through that chapter quickly. Okay, let's go, let's make a weekend retreat to, 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 to pray about our mistakes. And next week we are shining brightly and everything is empowered again. But maybe, no, no, you need this lifetime to go through that tunnel And that's that's the duty, the dharma of your generation to, to mm-hmm. just reflect, be introspective, be held in a healthy way, humiliated <laughs> and develop mm-hmm. proper humility from that and acknowledge the shortcomings and learn from the past and project the healthy future. So I totally agree with that because sometimes we, we, we are accustomed to, to wanting things immediately and, and see changes quickly and it's not comfortable at all. Okay, I will enter that. I will work, do my shadow work. And in this particular generation, I realized that my duty is to be vulnerable for a few decades. And it's like, oh, no, no, I don't want to do that so long. <laughs> uh, but I, I think it's totally healthy to, yeah, to be able to ascertain, well, maybe that's the duty of our generation. No? Exactly. To enter into that period of healthy repentance for a few decades and reflection and introspection. Of course, not not doing anything, but If you don't go deep enough into those to those places, you won't be able to create the very substantial, comprehensive change for for the future to come. The imagery for me around this idea yeah. always because we're in Detroit, so Detroit is, for better or worse, gave the world the gift of the assembly line. And putting What's the assembly line, sorry. Assembly line is in in a factory. There's mm. this conveyor belt, and and Henry Ford intuited mm. that cars could be built quicker mm. if, if they weren't individually one individual building a whole car mm. but one individual just putting one part on the car mm. and then the car moves down the line and the next guy does this mm. and you just do the same thing all day it's more efficient mm. okay it's mind-numbing of course so we'll put that part aside <laughs> yeah where where are we on the assembly line of mahaprabhu's movement mm. at leela And this burgeoning of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra manifesting within this realm, where am I on that assembly line? I might want to put the steering wheel on 
because mm. that's like the exciting thing to do. The car mm. is ready. And this, you know, the most prompt, the, the deity of the car, the steering wheel, I, I want to be the one to put that there. Mm. But we haven't even built the frame yet. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't even quite look like a car yet. And we're already trying to drive the thing. We're already trying to put the steering wheel. And so honk, not- honk, play the honk on, on other people. like. Dee, 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 dee. <laughs> so yeah. it, my, my part might just be this very humble rivet that no one's ever going to see. Mm. Once, once the rest of the car is assembled, you won't even see the part that I put there. Mm. But God will have, mm. Guru will have. Mm. And if I learn to take satisfaction in that, I've, I've actually become humble in the way that we're entreated to, not the humility that I can parade around and show off to others. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah, that reminds me of once... I think Radhanath Maharaj said that, but I'm not sure if it's his quote or he quoted from someone else. Like the Vaishnavas are like salt, that the salt is what makes, gives taste to everything, but nobody will glorify the salt. <laughs> no? Nobody will say, oh, the salt was perfect, so beautiful. You glorify all the spices, every ingredient except for the salt, but without salt, everyone will protest and nobody will eat anything. <laughs> so I, I appreciate your point in that terms of invisible. Actual, actual humility will, 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 if you're expert in humility, that will play out in very invisible ways, but, but that invisible thread is sustaining the whole structure, as you're mentioning. So, so yeah, I think that's, that's a highlight that, that you brought up, this idea of probably identifying the duty of, of our particular generation with proper grieving, so to say, and mourning and reflecting, not in the depressed way, not in a thematic sense, like laziness and so on, but mm. but really going deep into, into what we can learn from the past and, and project the future properly and acknowledge what's our present stance into what what do we understand by institution, even like going back to a basic like like asking asking ourselves, of course, to begin with, okay, what's ISCOM for me? What's an institution for me? What's Gaudi Amat from whatever mission? And see what comes from those basic questions and see how much those replies match actual reality, so to say, mm-hmm. <laughs> and where we are standing in our our own idea of things. I remember once you told me, in, in connection to your situation, uh, there is ISCON and there is my ISCON. <laughs> no, you told me and I asked you and do I belong to your ISCON you told me of course Mara. <laughs> I was like okay <laughs> if someone complains that I'm in an ISCON center talking I, I belong to it's some form of ISCON just in case you can ask them <laughs> <laughs> but yeah this this idea of mission no this is a mission that what's what's a mission no sometimes we use the, the word mission as synonymous with institution but also mission has more to do with an internal mission i have my life's mission mm-hmm. and, and a mission in terms of institution has to be just a natural organic extension of a life's mission like Prabhupada. Prabhupada inaugurated iscom but that was his life mission and that took the form of a mission in terms of institution but we have to always bear the connection with internal mission always an internal sense of these words institution mission or movement, no? I, I like this idea of movement. I put it in my book like, okay, we have a movement, this movement, that movement, but every external movement, it begins with some internal movement. Something has to be moving inside of me. Like Mahaprabhu, so much was moving inside of him. And eventually that inner movement took external shape in the form of an external organized movement. But it all began with with internal movement of his heart, no? So, 
how much there is movement internally, and that has to be naturally reflected in the external platform. So I don't know what you think in, in those connections. That was wonderful. Uh, <clears throat> I had I woke up one morning, Umaraj, you love like you're so good at wordplay. I'm always so impressed by <laughs> That's my way of learning English somehow. <laughs> I, I know it's it's amazing to me that you're a non-English speaker. It's almost like you know the outsider's perspective gives you this very uh, brilliant way to be able to play with the language. So I I woke up one morning and this it, I was just feeling so heavy and riled up, and this it just like came to me like a mantra. I, am I in a movement or a, um, am I a part of a monument? Am I just looking to the past and, and mm. you know, trying to glorify some historical period or am I a part of something living and breathing? Mm. And so I was this was at the stage of my life where I was happy to take to Facebook with whatever I think would rile people up. And so I, I went on Facebook and I make my post, you know, movement or monument. <laughs> and literally, Marsh, the next it was, you know, Krishna right there. Uh I, I start my um, customary scroll of my own feed. The very first post is a monument of Srila Prabhupada being established in one temple here in North America mm. to, to note a, a significant moment in the history of our community. Mm -hmm. I won't get more specific than that. Uh, and it, <laughs> I immediately took my post down <laughs> because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want people to think that I was exactly speaking to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. However, I was exactly speaking to that. That there's all this hurry bowl about what happened, and there's all this this unwillingness <laughs> to discuss, admit, and and move forward mm. for what could happen, what has happened that shouldn't have happened, mm. what could happen, or, or could happen going forward. So. We were with a, a Tamal Krishna and, and Jai and a, other friends a few days ago uh, in a, a Sangha that Tamal was holding around Chaturmasya. And I was sharing that our, the goal that at, at Harmony Collective, the community, I've been saying now for several years that our goal is to just stay together for 40 years. Hmm. It's not been done yet, at least here in the West. And if a group of people just stick it out with each, tolerate each other mm. <laughs> in a cooperative, friendly way for 40 years, mm. that is our offering to the future generations. And they can worry about self-sufficiency and all ahimsa milk and only our own veggies and, you know, all the other romances of communal living and development and support that the devotee community rightly in some ways mm -hmm. heralds. First, we just have to learn to to stick by each other, trust each other, give each other the benefit of the doubt for 40 years. Hmm. And then our children's children can think about Ahimsa ice cream. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, first we have to show another forms of Ahimsa. Hmm. I think the mother froze or he became in Stamba. He enters some ecstatic paralyzing after making the Ahimsa ice cream. Maybe that's enough invocation to remain there. So just for him to let's wait if he can return or not. But I will share a few words. Meanwhile, let me tell him that he froze. Uh -huh. <clears throat> let's see. Anyhow, 
Dave Malov is mentioning, meanwhile, he tries to reconnect or unfroze. The idea of our movement as, as living, no? the, the very word movement implies movement, no? something that is moving, something that is in constant unfolding, constant, and, and the movement of reality is ever unfolding, is evolutionary, so it's, it's always becoming something more. It's not stuck in history, it's not, as he said, a monument, it's not a museum-like piece, so to say, but something that is constantly unfolding, evolving, dancing, ultimately for us, ultimate reality, there he is again, ultimate reality is, is dance, no? for our Gaudiya tradition, the ultimate reality is a movement, is a dancing, so the word movement is very crucial for us, uh, and I, I was saying, just the amount of, I appreciate your point of, oh, oh light went off. <laughs> but now I'm on my phone, so it won't cut the Wi-Fi. <laughs> oh, 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 I see. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll try and increase my screen's bright, my laptop's brightness. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. <laughs> we see the example of the Amada being willing to enter, inhabiting the darkness and being willing <laughs> to go outside of comfort zone, delving into the unknown. Uh, but yeah, I, I like to define, in my book, I define Sampradaya as a, as a living school of prophets, basically, you know, like something really dynamic, really alive, full of aliveness. The, the very idea of Sampradaya implies that movement, aliveness, the ultimate dance. I mean, our movement has too much. Again, as we mentioned before, Mahaprabhu's movement began with something that was moving so deeply in him that that made him to dance, to move. No? And that dancing represents basically the, the dynamics of the movement that we should be not only dancing externally. Okay, we are following Mahaprabhu's example, but what's moving inside of me? What's dancing inside of me? Uh, and how we can make that sustainable, as, as Dev Madhava mentioned, I really appreciated that also. The point of sustainability. Okay, we are speaking on sustainability in communities, but first let's make our own relationship sustainable. And it's not a weekend, as you mentioned. 40 years period is a good amount of time. No? Like I remember when I was like 20, 20 years old and, and my first guru was already like hinting at me to accept sannyas. No? So I was pretty young, I must accept. <laughs> uh, 20 years, gosh. So so I, I talked with, with a sannyasi friend of mine at that time was again like, in 2001 or something and he told me wait for wait for a decade to see if you still think about that if, if you still have that same take on that so i like the challenge okay he didn't tell me okay think about it for a few months and decide he told me think about it for 10 years and, and we can <laughs> talk about it again and, and, and i really appreciated that that advice and i took that to heart so i waited for those 10 years and after that I say yeah i'm i'm still there of course i'm a totally different person <laughs> and, and now i'm from a different place still still there but from a totally different perspective that i appreciate having waited those 10 years so so yeah i, I totally agree with this idea of trying to make sustainable and check the sustainability in, in some Realistic period is now. Let's see how the the relationship works in a few years. But let's give four decades, and and that's not only an offering to the to the community, which of course it is, but it's also a a very powerful testament, a very powerful testimony of this works. No, I mean, 
and realistically, because in those 40 years, I'm sure there were so many ups and downs. It's not like for 40 years, everything was floating on a cloud and, uh, and rainbow was accompanying us in every single day. No, no, there were lots of struggles and stuff. And I think we as community and we as individuals need a lot of this more testimonies of long-term community and relationship with all its ups and downs and not just like a over-idealistic story and, and an overdose of romanticism, so to say, in how things have been. <laughs> Return. Tell, tell us some something from the darkness and the depth of the darkness. <laughs> yeah, let's see the next attempt that Krishna makes to stop me from talking. <laughs> how my phone might shut down. <laughs> um, you're it just reminding me, Maraj, what uh, a play on words that I like is that we've we've mistaken transience for transcendence mm. in our communities. Mm. And this this attempt to emulate the Paravrajakacharya, Srila Prabhupada and others who had the capacity to, in a healthy way, not stay in one place for more than two weeks, two months, mm -hmm. uh, has crippled our communities. And and still today, even with our, within our community, I mean, I, f I feel guilty all the time. I was just in Toronto. I'll be going to Gitanagri. All the time, I say no to travel. Still, mm -hmm. I travel a lot. And every time I leave, I, f I feel like a tree that's like pulling out its own root. Mm -hmm. That There's some root there that I'm like removing. And you only have so many roots as a tree. And you, you can't transplant a tree every two or three years and expect it to bear fruit. So the the yagya of community begins with staying in one place. Mm. And wherever you go, there you are. The challenges are not unique or different. The weather might be a little different, but the challenges are not going to be unique or different. Your anartas and the discomfort and anartas of others are going to vomit forth. Mm. And you either balk and run and go to another place where you can pretend for two or three years that you're a pure devotee and so is everybody else until it all starts again <laughs> and then leave again. Or you can buckle down, push through it, hold tight to those that you find you can trust and transform, really transcend mm -hmm. by staying rooted in one spot and, and growing vertically up and out of the, the fog, the bush of our relative conditioned existence. Hmm. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I, I wanted to emphasize in this connection because, again, sometimes we, <clears throat> even if we move from institution to the sense of the word community or movement or whatever, also to emphasize that community doesn't necessarily mean a massive gathering of people and then only then you have your community, but just mm. find a few once in the flock that you resonate with, that you are I mean, what, what Rupa Goswami will call sajatya, like like-minded or like-hearted, heart-minded, whatever, <laughs> sajatya sangha. You know, like even one, two, or three more. Like the Bible will say, when two or three gather in my name, there I am. Mm. God Himself is saying that. So they're they're the sweet absolute manifest, and, and we have created community. So I, I think it's important also to make that clear, to, to establish that new or not new, but sense of togetherness. I mean, like it's it's more than enough if we are able to to find a kinder, a few kinder spirits, and, and they may happen not to be in the same institution I'm serving. Also, no, <laughs> that's an important point. Uh, but we can 
I mean, in the spiritual world, there won't be institutions. Let's let's be honest. No, there will be uh, intimate groups of, of service. No, intimate groups of kindred spirits, different flocks of birds of the same feather, basically. Mm. So, so I, I think it's important, like, although we are not there, so to say somehow our present dynamics as sadakas resemble more and more the eternal dynamics, so to say. That's the way that you start to participate in, in the spiritual world, literally. You know? like, like your life resembles more and more what's going on in eternity. So in eternity, there will be groups, there will be... But the, 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 don't, those won't be hard institutions, so to say, if we want to use that expression. No? Like mm -hmm. you can speak about soft institutions and hard institutions, no? so to say. So I, I like to emphasize that point of, 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 of community, uh, you ultimately as finding community, whatever that manifests, even if it happens to be in another Gaudiya group or even in another mystical tradition i mean i have connection with people from mystical christianity or other schools and in, in many things i resonate more with them than i resonate with some Gaudi Vaishnavas. i must confess <laughs> although we may have a different sambanda abhideya and prayojan in many senses but it, it doesn't do away with the fact that you can really resonate with with these people and i'm purely consider them Devotees, if you will. I don't like the term non-devotees, just in case. <laughs> hmm. what do you Neither think? do I. <laughs> Neither do I. I appreciate that, Maharaj. I, I'm a little prejudiced being in the trenches of a more traditional community, so to speak, <laughs> that often yeah. when I when I speak to community, it, it does uh, come to the, the normal, you could say traditional sense of it. But it, I think it's really important for our actual prayojana, what you just brought out, that community in the sense that it serves a Gaudiya Vaishnava, any spiritualist generally, but then especially our um, goal as Gaudiyas, community is, is something that can be very fluid in the sense that it, all other tra traditional elements may not be there, but if that mutual sharing of internal purpose is present, then your deep, you know, your family members <laughs> and beyond. Um, even if proximity or organizational institutional connection are not there. So that that's a very important point. And I've that's a challenge again for anybody who's a kind of leader of, of a community is how to accommodate those different needs because some some people's needs are very on the ground and other people's needs are much more of the heart. And they've got the other stuff kind of figured out already. And the the attempt of the institution, our Gaudi institutions, to provide all the needs for all the people and the invitation that we'll be able to is a, a part of what's crippling us, I feel. If we go back to speaking about the larger organizational entities, the invitation that they make that we'll figure out your family and we'll figure out your money and we'll figure out where you live and we'll figure out what you do every day mm. and We'll also figure out your eternal existential position. <laughs> it, it's it's a tall order for even the most efficient, effective, well-organized, capable group. Mm -hmm. What to speak of what we're working with. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think you commented that these days or someone like, and also it may be scary in the sense of if, if, if the masses, the narrative coming from the institution is we will figure every single detail of your life that may be scary i don't want that to be on that level i mean i want to keep my decision making capacity and being i still be an individual <laughs> exactly 
No? So, I mean, in some stage, I understand that some, for some people, that's a, a very charming prospect. Like, okay, they will tell me what to do, who to marry, where to work, how to live, how to think. I can understand it's 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 alluring in some term, in some stage, it's charming, but eventually, the very same institution or group or community has to, yeah, to push out our individuality. You know, let let me share one message from Brenda Sundari that she just shared. It says a, a quote from Brené Brown, an author that I really appreciate. Also, <clears throat> leaders must either invest a reasonable amount of time attending to fears and feelings or squander an unreasonable amount of time trying to manage ineffective and unproductive behavior. Mm. That's from Bernie Brown. This is another way of actually caring that creates a better outcome overall, says Brenda Sundari. Hmm. That's wonderful. I, that That's kind of what, in a more direct and poetic sense, what I was trying to bring out from that Bhagavatam verse that's often kind of sentimentally mis spoken to that to to be a parent means to be a pure devotee mm. um, rather than just to be a parent means to attend in a healthy way to the fears and concerns of your child <laughs> so that when they become an adult they're they're effective and responsible rather than um, having to cope and and still stuck in that child experience because they weren't provided what they needed um, when they were younger hmm. yeah and somehow it for me relates back to this point that I mentioned before that the importance of an institution being or a group community being a vessel or a created a creation of sacred space to hold uh, one's vulnerability, basically. Mm. Again, it's, it's very uncomfortable to deal with vulnerability because in order to deal with the vulnerability of another person, you have to be vulnerable yourself. I mean, you have to open yourself to, the, to, to empathize and enter into the world of the other person and of course, the other person has to be open to allow that to happen. So in one sense, real vulnerability from one side requires real vulnerability from the other side to work. If, if, if I'm only vulnerable and you are not vulnerable, our exchange may end up in abuse, so to say. Mm -hmm. It happens so many times in, in, in communities, in the dynamics of institutions, you know, that we have one of the two sides of the equation being vulnerable, but the other side not corresponding, not honoring that vulnerability, not holding the space for that, and the result is disastrous many times. No? So, so that's for me another way of saying, okay, the individual is the heart of the institution. No, I mean, we, we have to take the care of the beating heart, and, and, and vulnerability means basically that, like rip off all the layers of non-heart heartedness and go straight to the naked heart. But for that, I have to show show up with my naked heart as well and not everyone wants to do that <laughs> no hmm. well that's that's what i noticed maraj about those who we find ourselves spending a lot of time with uh there's there's a kind of underground railroad as i call it within the Gaudiya vaishnav community of uh, I've, practically everywhere i go there's devotees ready to have these conversations as soon as you kind of out yourself as someone who wants to <laughs> <laughs> and the, the benefit of doing podcasts such as this is that you, you're just, I'm, I'm carrying the scarlet letter now and it, admitting my, my want and my willingness to enter into these conversations. Mm. And it's exciting because then everywhere I go, people want to, to reveal that part of themselves and they want to, to help me uh, enter in more deeply into it in my own experience and having the conversation with them. 
So as much discussion as there is about what the institutions and particularly ISKCON could be doing better because it's the big fish in the pond in the Gori community right now, mm. um, I find that it's even more important for individuals who sense some lack in their spiritual life to actually take stock of what are my needs and where can they be fulfilled? Mm-hmm. Because as we've pointed out already, it's in, in many cases, it's probably not even appropriate in a healthy institution for the institution to be fulfilling things that we right now in our present conditioning expect the institution to fulfill. Hmm. So to remove those misconceptions and then find out what are the healthy channels for having that fulfilled, having that need met um, Mm -hmm. is something that everybody can do today without having to worry about who your temple president is or what the GBC is doing or et cetera. Hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Let me share one word from Michelle. She's saying, and what can the volunteer expect from the temple? Temples need to be able to get to know the volunteer and see, too, how the volunteer needs to be served for the purpose of supporting their spiritual maturity. And she mm. continues saying, but maybe this is the advantage of smaller sanghas. There is time, space, and energy for relationship, unlike a temple where the needs of the building and grounds demand most of the energy. Yeah, of course, here we are not criticizing big temples or just saying small communities are the only possible thing. But I will say even in a big community, you need small, smaller communities inside a big community so everything remains personalized. Absolutely. Not as I mentioned in, in in my book, the bigger the crowd, the the more negligible the individual becomes. Mm. So I'm not against big crowds, but the point is, that's a danger. You have a big, 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 bigger, bigger, bigger crowd. The individual figure starts to get lost into the collective, so to say, into the conglomerate. <laughs> so everything has its up and down. So in in those, I will say, in those big projects or big temples, some system of personalized care should be kept in place so the needs of every person are are present and i appreciate michelle what you mentioned in terms of uh, what the what what how the volunteer needs to be served because many times mm. think, okay volunteer is coming he needs to serve <laughs> so we, have the, we have the long list of what how we can engage him or her but what are her necessities his necessities as, as how, how we can identify with the necessities of of our newcomers, so to say, that's a very, very crucial layer, basically, to make whomever is coming really belong and really feel part of a family, basically. As you mentioned before, Devamada, this first initial one-year honeymoon period, so to say. No? Mm. <clears throat> yeah, I've been in discussion with several devotees now about the idea of a kind of detox for people when they first come to Krishna consciousness you see this, it's a very sad dynamic that happens where Krishna consciousness becomes about my purification. And this is how it's presented to people. And so from day one, do a lot of service at the temple so that you can become purified. And 40 years forward, people are still trying to become purified instead of ever allowing themselves to to experience the contact with Krishna that they're having and to cultivate that from the positive side, which is ultimately much more uplifting. So this the way in which this presentation of how how seva will save you actually co-ops the the way that a sadhaka develops 
Mm-hmm. And so there's a need that I've, I've seen and others have seen that I've discussed with to let people come in and not practice Krishna consciousness, but be a part of the Bhakti Sangha. Mm-hmm. And to understand that right now, mm-hmm. what you're doing is just becoming a, a normal human being in a basic sense. <laughs> you're stabilizing your existence after being in the harassed material energy. And you can all, you know, associate with the devotees, chant Hare Krishna, read the Bhagavatam, but understand that your real project in the beginning is just to create a stable position from which to do that meaningfully long term. Mm-hmm. And so I, that Michelle's very prescient comment uh, I'm, got me thinking about that, how we see that naivety, that it's a codependence. People recognize their life as a mess, and we come in with the magic wand solution of devotional service, Krishna consciousness, and a temple that needs a lot of help. And mm-hmm. so for two, three years, people live in that. But then afterwards, they start to recognize that their needs still aren't being met. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're being taken advantage of, and then they go elsewhere. Totally. Totally agree with that. Totally agree with that also, Dev Madhava. And of course, I I like to talk about that so much about the, the need for our human grounding and foundation and how much many times that's neglected in the name of transcendence. And like if humanity is something that goes against transcendence, and like if our own idea of transcendence doesn't include humanity, which is a huge uh, mistake because our idea of hum- transcendence is Nara Lila. And that's fully human and fully divine. So we, we have to yeah be grounded in in humanness to begin with. I appreciate your point also that you mentioned this emphasis on to be purified, to be purified, to be purified. Also that that sends the message, the light is back. Okay. <laughs> so also that sends the message of We made it through. <laughs> <laughs> the tunnel is over. Just the first <laughs> one. Then that, let's see the next one. Mm-hmm. But this emphasis on you have to be purified also sends the, the subtle message, or sometimes not even so subtle, that if you are not purified enough, Krishna doesn't love you, or you are not being accepted by God. So you need to deserve, you have to earn God's love by way of your purification. It's all, it's all up on you, basically. It's all on your shoulders, your effort, your sacrifice, some, some sort of meritocracy. No, the long the more you are purified, the more Krishna will like you. But like you are now, oh, he doesn't like you that much. So you need to purify so much, and that creates an idea of Krishna, which is totally a Krishna. No, it's not. That's not God. That's not the God I worship. At least <laughs> God of unconditional love and mercy. So, mm. so I just want to make that point, although maybe a little bit on on, on the side, but sometimes the, the the overt emphasis of of sheer purification. Yeah, it does away with who Krishna is, and as you mentioned, with a with a positive sense of developing a loving relationship with Him, because ultimately Krishna consciousness is about developing my relationship with God. Period. Yes, it's not about getting rid of something, but positively advancing in certain direction, and and yet sometimes that's missed totally, and 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 we end up con- conceiving our practice in. In negative terms, basically, in don'ts, now what not to do, what to get rid of, and and I'm not against that, but that's that's just a, actually a byproduct of the positive culture, basically. You revealed, Maharaj, that you in some ways prefer the sangha of others from other traditions, who in some ways are more at heart with your own sense of purpose, and I I feel the same. I'd rather hang. There's a couple 
people from other communities who I'd rather spend my time with than some Hare Krishnas. <laughs> and I, I, what you just said reminds me of what I appreciate spending time with good Christians in the sense of Christians who feel like their association is uplifting for me. There's this sense of Sharanagati that they have, mm-hmm. this sense of, I, I can't earn it. I can't get into heaven on, on merit, on works alone, as the Bible literally puts it. Mm. I, I'm just dependent on, on God's grace, on the grace of Christ in my life. Mm. And I can, uh, I can say thank you in a way by, by trying to emulate, but I'm never going to earn my, my way into the kingdom. And sometimes in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, that, that gets muddled. Um, of course, on the Christian side, it becomes very lazy and languid. And many of us may have rejected our Judeo-Christian upbringing because of the laziness that that mentality can foster. So it's also its own uh, double-edged sword. Mm. But to your point on the Gaudiya side, there's too much to do. And if I <laughs> chant perfect rounds and wake up at the right time and wear the right wor- uh, clothes and say the right words and, and then do all the service with every breath and moment I have in between doing those things, then in three to five years, Premi Bhakta. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, totally agree. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so so much. I use the word meritocracy in my book so many times because I think that idea is on our own merit. It's up on our own merit. And that can be really, at one point, overwhelming because, I mean, we are really considerably limited in terms of I, 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 it's up to me to earn my way into Golok. I mean, that's like, that's discouraging, basically, that 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 attacks our own faith. We are not nourishing the faith by saying that. Of course, it's, there is the danger that you mentioned on, of laziness, but, but of course, the middle point is always always the healthy one. So try to, since you mentioned the Bible, there's one quote I cannot recall literally, but say something like, <clears throat> like God created so many rules, so we may fail in them. So he has a further option to show his unconditional mercy to us. <laughs> <laughs> So I appreciated that. No, like God is so addicted to show mercy that he puts the mark very difficult so we can fail and he can give us love despite we don't deserve it. No, I felt charmed like, again, not la- I, I'm, I'm not feeling lazy about hearing that, but I'm feeling humbled by, oh my mm-hmm. God, you know, such a merciful, such a generous disposition is coming to us from Mahaprabhu. And so, I mean, I cannot but, try to take as much responsibility as I can to, to correspond with that. So, so there, there's, there are ways and ways to relate to these ideas of <clears throat> costless mercy and, and, and what's our role in connection to that in terms of... And, and I think this reflects in, in relation to, to what we are talking today, the, the dynamic of commu- dynamics of community. I mean, if you properly enter joining community and, and you are showered by tons of costless mercy, proper costless mercy, that will, the message you will receive is naturally, I want to reciprocate with this. I want to be part of that. I want to belong to, to this place. No, it doesn't feel like any sort of forcing, fitting in, demanding, mm-hmm. but so much generosity that is moving my heart to the point that I want to dedicate this for the rest of forever, basically. No? <laughs> There's a beautiful line of poetry in um, Vrindavan Mahimamrita from Prabodhananda Saraswati. He says, I entered into that land of Vrindavan and I felt overwhelmed by the affection of a million mothers. Hmm. And I, I wanted only to know 
how can I serve? Hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Very, very irresistible way of replying to, <laughs> to something irresistible in its own way. Mm. Yeah. Let me share this comment from Anya Like that she just, just shared. <clears throat> I think she knows you, Deva Madhava. Oh, yes. If we do service out of a sense of shame and unworthiness, <clears throat> then in essence, we burn ourselves out of <clears throat> we burn ourselves out and the love connection to Krishna gets lost. And crying mm. emoji to <laughs> yeah. Lamentable. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So if, share with us a few words on that particular point, Diomada. What, what do you think in terms of the shame and unworthiness dynamics, how much do you see them present in, in our community playing and how they play out even without our noticing that, no, even even not without noticing that's actually happening. That's that's what I wanted to call attention to is is this is something that I recognize I, I'll share an experience I had. <clears throat> a young man came to to essentially mm -hmm. join our community from another community and he had uh, something of a savings, you know, it wasn't, it's not a huge amount, but for a young Hare Krishna boy is a, a decent amount of money. And he just wanted to give it all to me. Mm. You, you just take this. And I, I'd been around long enough at that point. I said, no, thank you. That's not surrender. <laughs> right. That's, that's not actually service. And I'm not actually being your well-wisher and your, your senior, your authority, whatever, mm. by accepting that. And a few years later, he thanked me for not accepting it. Yeah. But so the, the, to the point that guilt and shame is it's onboarded already. The, as an institution, our concern, you know, if we're a part of the institution, the community, what language you'd like to use, our concern would be how to, how to mitigate that, how to relieve the person of that. Mm. Unfortunately, sadly, people take advantage of it either knowingly or unknowingly, it's often exploited and leveraged. But you're, you cannot get rid of it totally. And you may see someone, this is something Vrindavani, um, my wife, it, she's never been around so many converts. <laughs> she's, she's grown up in the movement and, and around those that grew up in the movement, which has its own challenge, of course. Uh, but she's never seen the psychoses of a convert so up close as she does now at the Harmony Collective, where most of us are coming into the community and into the culture. And sh she gets bothered by this a little bit, that she sees people's reason for doing something is, is not the reason to do it, but rather some need they're trying to fulfill, which they may even be completely unaware of and just are compulsively doing uh, almost as a way to avoid. And I... I appreciate her calling attention to that for me and, and it helps me try to stay vigilant and not try to take advantage of it as is so easy to do with, as a leader. As I mentioned, that Pandora's box, when you take it off, your whole mechanism for getting anything done goes away <laughs> and you have to come up with this whole new value system for why people should do things. It is very inefficient. So I appreciate her calling my attention to that. At the same time, something mm -hmm. I try and help her see that it's either here or over there that they're going to do that. Mm -hmm. Who understands what's going on uh, ostensibly and can help to direct in a healthy way, either immediately or eventually that energy better. They do it here than over there. Hmm. So it's not totally for not that the, the person may behave that way. And 
if the association is strong, it, it will be purified and removed. But to be wary that it's um, not to exploit it and to understand that it's inevitable on some level yeah. are two things that I've, I find important to consider. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those words. Yeah, that reminds me of some of the things that mentioned I mentioned yesterday in the lecture on healthy and unhealthy templates between guru and disciple and how much a guru should be, someone serving in the capacity of guru, how much he or she should be aware that, oh, lots of people will come to me with codependency template or with lots of shame and guilt, and, and they won't notice that. They will think I'm surrendering, I'm giving myself fully, and the guru right. cannot cannot stop them from being like that in from day one. So he or she has to be expert enough to coexist <laughs> with all that toxicity <laughs> in a way that is gradually redeemed, so to say, and transform into something else. Uh, but but you have to remain aware, this is not actual surrender, this is not healthy. And if I take advantage of that, even without, I mean, if you are not ex prop, uh, expert enough, you can receive a, shame and guilt from someone and you you don't understand that shame and guilt and you end up exploiting the person without knowing you are exploiting the person even <laughs> because you are not expert enough to to grasp the shame and guilt coming uh, and as you mentioned on one side we have the shame and guilt that people brings already from in their own baggage of pre-converts so to say <laughs> but also there is the shame and guilt that sometimes is instilled in the official narrative in a particular group or institution sometimes in terms of uh, if you do like this, okay, if not, and comes all this shame and guilt subconscious narrative where you have to be in a certain way so you don't fall into the shame and guilt the equation, so to say. Uh, and personally, I think that's not precisely something to, to nourish, to honor the faith of, of the participants, no? but, but, but on the contrary, like, like you make your home, and I think many of us, I mean, that, that will be a fifth one to add in the Bhagavad Gita's verse, Chaturbhita Bhajantima. Four types of people who approach me, <laughs> one of them full of shame and guilt, and somehow they are unconsciously trying to... <clears throat> but even more delicate are those who maybe even may join without shame and guilt, but may enter into the process and officially get the message, you have to have shame and guilt for be part of this. No, that, mm. That's a currency... Uh, in this neighborhood, so to say, no. So, what what do you think about that? The shame and guilt that sometimes is instilled in between the lines in the dynamics of a of an institution of a group dynamics. It's taught um, <clears throat> absolutely. I I feel like on some level, again, it's it's like an unavoidable. As soon as there's standards, there's going to mm -hmm. be shame and guilt, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and an institution is by justice is blind you know the the lady justice she has a blindfold on yeah. so there is some truth to that objective standard and we don't avoid that especially mm. in our community mm. how to yeah the, the temptation to like manipulate people with that is just so difficult when everybody is got some form of conditioning mm -hmm. how to totally mitigate that it's it's like it takes such vigilance mm. uh to be able especially when you're a person in position of leadership or influence it takes such vigilance i don't know of any other antidote than to just be constantly self-examining and i one word that i've started to use you, you mentioned maraj language how it's important <clears throat> to maybe re 
define some of these things we're so certain we understand. One term that I've, I've tried to not use really at all anymore is false ego. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I remember because you, you used a new one that I, I even put in my book and I put in the end, end notes, a, a, a thankful note for you, yeah. But I don't recall right, now sure. the name, which was like provisional identity uh, or something? In, in intermediary identity. Intermediary, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to call attention to the, the value of our conditioning, the <clears> value <throat> of our relative experience, the value of our relative needs and how those are a, a springboard into our eternal identity and that that whole I, the whole conception of the falsity of the of the present ego mm. then just lends itself to this this very uh knee-jerk reaction we have to burn it all to the ground <laughs> mm. useless kill it all ignore it i don't have to pay attention to it and the results we've seen so many ways and the, the leadership plays into that oh your family false ego your body false ego your bank account false ego do the things that I need you to do. That's give, give me your give me your false ego in the form of your bank account. <laughs> I'll take your false ego we'll and make, make it I'll, real. I can we'll give it to it Krishna. Real. Yeah, we'll make it real for you. Yeah. <laughs> Hare Krishna. Yeah. So that that need mm. to create a an acceptance of an appreciation for our present situation and and gratitude, recognizing how it connects me to God, how it facilitates my relationship with the devotees how it allows me to offer something not the best thing the highest thing most thing but something and how that will result in the end and in, in the experience that we hanker for um mm -hmm. is maybe some of what mm -hmm. can soften that tendency towards guilt and shame that's going to be there yeah yeah very interesting point how this type of emphasis on yeah on denying basically of our uh, present identity which is is risky i mean if someone comes with a particular sense of identity and c tries to cut from it tries because you cannot do it from day to from one day to another and be immersed in your seat that they have so <laughs> if you <laughs> come with your sense of identity and someone tells all that is false you cannot just press a button and and, and be someone else in, in, in somewhere else, so to say. So that creates a, a very risky limbo to the bordering bordering neurosis in, in some cases. Now, I remember Purnachandra Swami, and I repeat that many times in some lectures in his book, Unspoken Obstacles on the Path to Bhakti. He, he analyzes the, the, the social historical dynamics of, of, of the Krishna consciousness movement in, in, in the 60s when it began with Trila Prabhupada in the West. So and how he say, I don't, I don't know if I ever saw such a social phenomenon where the whole group, a whole generation, suddenly from day to night drops out their sense of identity and their culture and tries to adapt a new culture immediately. Now, and he mentions the point, of course, you cannot do that, although you think you are doing that. And, and yeah. probably the, the result of dropping a culture and trying to embrace another one, the result is impersonalism because mm -hmm. you are not here nor there. So you think you have done it, but in time you will you will get to know that you are still processing the whole transition, so to say. No. So and again, that's a variety of impersonalism, which unconsciously we may be promoting in the name of radical personalism. <laughs> Let me share one comment from, from Brenda Sundari. She shared a few minutes ago. She said, uh, she appreciates something we said before. Our normal humanness 
as a part of our Bhakti project. Ultimately, even normal humanness is potent enough to purify us. Simply being mm -hmm. open to the design of the human experience as being slanted to self-realization and how potent it is when juxtaposed with Bhakti. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we can separate Bhakti from humanness. If you take away the word humanness, Bhakti is no longer Bhakti because Bhakti is not inhuman. <laughs> bhakti is fully divine and fully human. So, but yeah, I appreciate your words, Brindison. I like that word, slanted. <laughs> What's slanted? I didn't get that one in my in my English glossary. I haven't get to that adhikar. Oh, it's like English. like like it's angled. You know, like the like a hill mm. is slanted. Mm. It's it's going like if if I'm actually living out my humanity in a healthy mm. way, it's naturally oriented towards God. Mm. Mm. Great. Yeah, that, that's the thing. No, I mean, for us, humanity, Atato Brahma Jignasana, humanity naturally, naturally expressed tense towards the divine. But interestingly, the divine naturally conceived tense towards the human as well. I mean, there is the, the two of them cannot coexist separately, at least in our Gaudiya conception. Mm. Human and divine are not, are not divorced. And But I think we have divorced them enough, as you mentioned, by this type of. You are not this, you are not that, this is false ego. And, and there has been lots of, uh, how to say, yeah, different shades of impersonalism. Like your, your relationship with your body is wrong. Your relationship with your emotions are false. This world is profane uh, and so on and so forth. So impersonal, 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 impersonal. So I don't want to say we end up being more Maya bad than the official Advaita Vedanta, <laughs> but we may end up being more dangerous in the sense that we are lip service saying something, but giving another message in between the lines sometimes. So that's delicate. There's a, the, the writer, of, it's in Moby Dick, <clears throat> um, Herman Melville. He writes, uh, one of the characters has to share a room for the night with someone. He has a choice. Uh, and he says, I'd rather sleep with a sober cannibal than a drunken Christian. Okay. okay. Because at least the sober cannibal is straightforward. I'll eat you. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I'm dealing with there, but the drunken Christian, you don't know what you're going to get from that guy because yeah. he said this was back in, you know, 1800s when Christianity had some standard <laughs> of decorum. Uh -huh. So you're dealing with a drunken Christian. You don't know what that guy's about because he's it's hypocrisy hmm. um you're also you're reminding me Maharaj, that those devotees it's ironic now i was laughing about this some weeks ago with some friends those devotees who are most adamantly you know you're not your body they're also those who are most adamant about telling people what body they are in at present uh -huh. <laughs> so there's there's this you know you, a woman is a woman and a man is a man and th that whole so in an ironic way, that that group within our community is calling attention to the value of the human experience, the, the need to be aware of it for ourselves and to integrate it rather than to deny it. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how those things play out, even if you overtly <laughs> say something, how unconsciously all the other stuff is slipping in. No, so Yeah. But yeah, I totally appreciate that point you made regarding Moby Dick, how much uh, potential potential danger there is in in, re in, re in rendering lip service to a particular uh, ideal or tradition. But And it's so tempting, especially, I mentioned that in my book, for us as Gaudias, which we have such a sophisticated 
theology and way of presenting what we are about, that the more sophisticated the presentation, the more chances to hide behind that presentation, how much you are going against that, actually. <laughs> so we have such a noble discourse, so to say, a noble way of introducing ourselves to the world that that gives us so many opportunities to to hide, hide behind concepts, basically, to hide behind concepts and, and, and not embrace actual reality and the actual actualization of those concepts in our own self, in our own example. So mm -hmm. we are blessed by that. We are blessed by such a de detailed, deep, breath, broad philosophy. But <clears throat> as you mentioned, it, it can have to, well, Prabhupada said that. Now, what's the expression in English? This razor blade? That Krishna consciousness is like a razor blade. A razor's edge, yeah, right. Okay, that you can have a nice shaving or you can just cut yourself or become yourself. a serial, serial killer with it. No. <laughs> Hare Krishna. So, yeah. Yeah. Something else, Yomada, we are reaching the, the, the antelila of our episode. <laughs> so I don't know it if does. you would like to, to share some <clears throat> final thoughts or something else you may like to, to add if, we, if, we, if you were thinking about contributing something that I missed. Um, you know, it's, it's just coming now. I was, I was like kind of circling back in my own head thinking it's, it's we're winding down now. Um, the, the value of the institution, I'd like to say something about that mm -hmm. <laughs> since we've uh, yeah, pointed course. out a lot of the things that it, it does get in the way of. I'm, I'm reading a book called Francis and His Brothers. Mm. And it's a, a history mostly mm. of the development of the Franciscan mission after his departure. Mm. So a little bit of discussion about his, his life and how he became recognized by the Catholic Church, but mostly about how they dealt with his departure and the centuries afterwards, how things developed obviously parallels for where I find myself within the assembly line of Mahaprabhu's movement. We just had a period of very charismatic and potent devotees present. And now the Gaudiya community is dealing with their lack of presence. So I see there that what the institution that was set up around Francis, who was himself just a, a saint, a sadhu in the straightforward sense of the term, didn't need anything from anyone and wanted to give it all to everyone he met, Bas, and had no problem, no difficulty living that life. He naturally attracted so many others who wanted to be able to live that life, saw that as an ideal, but didn't have the capacity to live out that ideal. Mm -hmm. And what the institution provides is kind of crutches, training wheels, to be able to strengthen that capacity to the point of an individual experiencing that and expressing it themselves. And so I, I just had knee surgery a year and a half ago, and I was on crutches for some time. And there's a warning that they give you not to let the crutch become a crutch. Mm. To understand that this is an intermediary period of your healing, where in which you need this support so that one day you don't need that support. Mm -hmm. And if, if that recognition was is there of the determination of the institution not ultimately but in the lives of an individual within it mm. that the goal of the institution and this is where i come in with my university example is to graduate mm. the goal of school is to not have to go to school anymore mm -hmm. if that can be brought back into everyone's awareness from the organization itself to the members within it then i think we will start to recognize 
and feel much more deeply the opportunity of the institution, which is this context within which I can live to an ideal that otherwise I'm not able to live up to. I wouldn't be able to come to without that support that I'm being provided by the structure created. I would only be able to uh, look at it, but not engage with it in a meaningful way. Hmm. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Dev Madhava. Yeah, yeah. Institution like providing, yeah, providing an ideal and, and facilitating an experience of, of that ideal, of getting closer and closer to that ideal. Yeah, love it. Very, very, very beautiful. Am I pronounced the Makunda Prabhu? I saw him in the chat. He's Jai Makunda Prabhu. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. I appreciate the, the example, the metaphor you made also as well, that the role of the institution is just to assist you in, in certain particular experience and is there to, 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 to accompany, to support, to support a particular experience that you are supposed to have. Again, it's not the, the, the institution will have the experience for you or, or, or will provide in every sense the experience. It will provide certain context and support and vessel for, for one to also enter into that in a certain way, in a vulnerable way, hopefully, and have a particular experience. And uh, for me, that's that's the actual joining of the institution. And, and and I always come back to this idea that that actually we cannot join an institution, but we can join a heart that happens mm -hmm. to, be, to, to be beating in a particular institution. No? Because you cannot mm -hmm. join, belong to an institution. You belong to people. No, That's, again, let's keep it personal. <laughs> so you mm -hmm. belong to, to another heart that is beating in a way that makes your heart beat and happens to be in a certain institution so that that particular beating invites you to join and to have a particular as you mentioned experience and support uh so yeah it's, it's I, I really appreciate that you you chose to conclude with with this positive note because of course again i mentioned in the beginning but it's also nice to make it at the end like we we are not against institution the podcast is not about let's dethrone uh, all these type of structures, but let's reflect about the, the purpose of them and, 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 and let's not, not stop reflecting about that because institution may have a purpose at one point, eventually it will have another purpose, eventually it will have another purpose, or the same purpose will have to be revised in, in each generation and more than that. So that's mm. a hum humble attempt today also, no? a, a little introspection in that connection. So... Thank you so much, Deomada Prabhu. I really appreciate your contribution, your friendship, your ideas, your commitment, your your, your responsibility and connection to, to all Thank you for all the support and uplifting and insight you provide, Maraj. We're looking forward to being in person after a year yeah. uh, very soon. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. And I will share again before concluding for those who would like to know more about Deomada Prabhu, his projects. This is the link to the community he's leading, the harmonycollective.org. You can find that. That's in Michigan. And again, uh, the following weekend, we will have this retreat on radical personalism with Dev Madhav Prabhu and Jai Jagannath Prabhu as well. And here's the link for those who would like to join. Tickettailor.com slash events slash the Harmony Collective slash 939416. Do we have some space yet there, Dev Madhava? We always make space. We're still Hare Krishnas at heart. So it might end up a refugee camp, but if you want to come, we'll find a spot. That's it. That's how I like it. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, next week, I'll be having, since we will having this retreat on the weekend, I, I will be doing the next podcast on Thursday. 
So next Thursday, 27 July, we'll have another episode with Tamal Krishna Prabhu, another friend and kindred spirit. And that will be at the same time, 10 a.m. EDT time. And the topic will be uh, living prayer. So we'll talk about prayer, about how to live prayer, what does it mean to live a life of prayer, and what's a living prayer, if you want to take living, whether as an adjective or as a verb. We'll be talking about that next this next Thursday. So we'll be sharing the, the info these days also as well. So thank you so much, Devamad Prabhu. Thank you so much to all of you for connecting. And see you very soon in another episode of the Free Radical Podcast. Go Ranga. Go Ranga.